Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Hollywood Crime Scene is featured on Stitcher's second annual True Crime Week. You can listen to our show and all the other True Crime Week podcasts on the Stitcher app. That's stitcher.com slash discover, hashtag Stitcher True Crime Week. I love Dateline. Yeah. That's they what- have every great true crime podcast um, sort of being featured this month. So it's definitely worth your while to go check it out. You'll probably discover something that you haven't heard before i agree i like dateline too (laughs) (laughs) i listen to dateline multiple times a week should we do our patreon shout outs next yeah okay so patreon is where you can go to find bonus content which we have a lot of that's at patreon.com slash hollywood crime scene for as little as five dollars a month you will get access to hundreds of shows that are not Available on our main feed. Yeah. Also, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can make it so that you can just listen on your phone, like wherever. Like it'll go to whatever app right. you're listening to. You just to. download it to your app or yeah. something. Yeah. Okay. So this week we had Janelle, Chris, Nat, another Chris, Paige, Kathleen, Brianna, Bibi, Pamela, Taylor. Tay, Robin, Kira, Emily, Nathaniel, Caitlin, Marianne, Rachel, Jennifer, Anna, Justin, Harmonic Time, Christy, Crystal, Shannon, and Mercedes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Desi, it's October. We're kicking off (laughs) Halloween month, my favorite month of the year for Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. Because this is when we do horror movie versus reality. Yeah. So every October we have done this. I think the first year we didn't. Maybe the second. Maybe the second year we started. I think we started doing this the second year. But we did do a spooky October our first year. We did some spooky stories. We did uh, some... The candy poisoning. Yeah, we did like an urban legend one. Yeah. And we did like a... the. I think we talked about The Exorcist maybe. Right, because that first October we had only been up for a month or so. Two months at yeah. that point. So this week, our first story to kick off Halloween month is going to be a two-parter, and it is the real-life crime that inspired the 1996 movie The Dentist. Ooh. Have you seen The Dentist? I haven't. Okay. This is directed by Brian Yuzna, who is kind of a horror icon. He has done a lot of movies with Stuart Gordon, who is absolutely an icon. One of my favorite Stuart Gordon movies is Reanimator. He also did Castle Freak, which if you haven't seen Castle Freak and you're a horror fan, it's a must-see. It is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. You have to watch it. Uh, Brian Yuzna also did 1989 Society. 
Oh, I know that one. That's a very iconic horror movie as well. So um, this that was his first directorial. That was his directorial debut. Okay, was Society, but he was a producer on a lot of Stuart Gordon films before that. So the dentist is directed by Brian Yuzna and written by Stuart Gordon. Okay. So you know it's going to be campy and and weird and kind of horny. Who's in it? Mark Ruffalo. Oh. Wait, how have I not seen this? <laughs> it's an early role. Okay. So he's not the star of it. Okay. Uh he's, he's not, not the dentist. He is not the dentist, but he does play a, a guy in it. Um He's a young Mark. I mean, look, it's young Mark Ruffalo. Okay, it, it's, so he's the big star, but wasn't the star. No, he was the big. He he's the, he's he's definitely the biggest star today that happens to be in this movie. Okay, I think, but um, yeah. Now, yeah, like I said before, a lot of these movies are very like um, horny in a creepy way. I think Reanimator has one of the grossest slash funniest scenes in it of all time and that's when Barbara Crampton gets her pussy eaten out by a disembodied head. Classic. Reanimator. Classic (laughs) horror movie. You gotta watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, Also Castle Freak has a lot of disgusting moments like that as well. So yeah, those are my uh, recommendations. That's your homework this week. Uh, Anyway, so The Dentist is based on the real-life crimes of Dr. Glennon Engelman. Now, the book that I read for my main source this week is called Appointment for Murder. It's by Susan Crane Bakos. I also got a lot of information from old newspaper articles. A little behind-the-scenes fun fact about the show there's what I like to call the research before the research starts. And that's when we're researching our sources, where to find like what, what we're going to use for our source. And (laughs) I was looking at reviews of this book. I would say this is like the definitive book on Glennon Engelman. And I was reading some of the reviews and all the bad reviews were like a lot of the same complaints and that it was like too pornographic. Ooh. And um, vulgar. That's when you knew it was going to be good. Yeah, I was like, well, if that's like everyone's biggest complaint that this book is really vulgar and unnecessarily graphic, obviously I'm I'm in 100%. Yeah. People were outraged. That means it's five stars. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's your complaint? Not that it's inaccurate information or right. anything? Which, no, you can, you can glean a lot from the complaints yes, sometimes. Right. For sure. And I'm like, well, that's a bonus for me. Yeah. And I, you know what, Desi? Even I blushed a little bit Ooh. reading some of this. And just look, there are some sex scenes that are described here that are fucking disgusting, mostly because the guy doing the sex is a monster and disgusting. But why is Susan, the writer, getting all into <laughs> it? Like, how did she get all the details? Some of them I under I I know how she got the details to it, but some of the like specific details i'm like did you just make that up yeah she's like i'm embellishing my fantasies onto this like she's going like point by point through different sex moves damn so it does get steamy in here but i was never horny reading this because just the guy who it's about is so gross and i guess we'll get into that right now yeah it was just after 7 30 p.m on december 17th 1958 
When a motorist spotted a man wearing a brown hat and a blue coat with a gun in the middle of the road, standing over the body of another man just outside the art museum in St. Louis, Missouri. As the motorist got out of their car to inspect the scene, the man with the gun ran off into the night and disappeared. Another motorist pulled over, and the two of them approached the guy who was lying in the middle of the street. He was bleeding profusely, and either dead or quickly approaching death. When police arrived, they saw that the man had been shot three times, twice in the head with a twenty-two caliber pistol, and he'd also been sprayed in the chest with birdshot pellets. Ooh. I had to look up what birdshot pellets were. Right. I, I didn't want... But he was sprayed. Because well, those spray out, Yeah. Right? Look, we don't know a lot about guns on this show. Look. <laughs> you, and you don't need to explain it to us. No. doesn't really matter. The ma- <laughs> Here come the emails. The man was loaded into an ambulance where he died en route to the hospital. Detectives John Vinning and Phil Dwyer inspected the victim's car, which was found in the alley with its doors open and the motor still running. There was blood on the windshield. Immediately, police surmised that the deceased was a victim of a homosexual tryst gone wrong, as this was a particular spot that was known to be a hookup area for for men seeking other men. The victim was identified as 27-year-old James Bullock, a lineman for the Union Electric Company, who was on his way to a night class where he was taking classes at the St. at St. Louis University. Detectives knocked on the door of his wife, a 23-year-old kindergarten teacher named Ruth, to alert her of the grim news. Her husband of only 6 months was mm-hmm. dead. The detectives asked Mrs. Bullock if her husband and her had any marital problems, and she said no. They asked her if she had been married before, and she said yes, to a man named Glennon Engelman, a dentist. She had married him back in 1953 when she was only a dental student. They were only married for three years before divorcing. She didn't tell detectives that her and her ex-husband never actually lived together, He lived with his mother, and she lived in student housing. Mrs. Bullock explained to the police that her and her husband split on good terms and that she still saw him for dental work. She also said that she was still getting money from him, but her husband, James, didn't know that she was getting money from him sometimes. Wait, she's 23 now? Yes. And she was married for three years. When she when did she get married? Seventeen. <sighs> she must have been like eighteen or seventeen. Okay. But she was married for three years to Glenn and Engelman. Both of them were in their twenties at that time. When thirty-one-year-old Doctor Engelman was questioned by the police about the murder of James Bullock, he offered up an alibi. He said that on the day of the murder, he was brought. A, he bought a Christmas gift for his wife, Ida. Then he saw a patient at his office, and after that, he picked his wife up from her job at the library, and they returned home to his mother's house where they all lived to have dinner with her and two young handymen. His wife, his mother, and the dinner guests all confirmed this story. Why is he living with his mother if he's a dentist? (laughs) He has been living with his mom this whole time. That's crazy. I know. Like, it's one thing if you're a student... 
still living at home, but if he's a dentist, married and still living at home, I think he was a mama's boy. Like just from, I mean, seriously, like he really was a mama's boy and his mom really thought that little Glennon could do no wrong. Not my Glennon. If you name your son Glennon, he's a mama's boy. (laughs) (laughs) Engelman told police that he had actually done dental work for James Bullock and that he had met him at his job at the electric company. Dr. Engelman had actually done part-time work there as a clerk. Also kind of weird if you're a dentist. Yeah. I mean, maybe dentists didn't earn as much then, but it seems like a high-paying job. Yeah. At the inquest, Dr. Engelman's patient, a guy named Thomas Johnson, testified that he was at Engelman's office being treated from 7.15 p.m. to 8.55 p.m., which is while the murder was taking place. Right. Or it happened Supposedly, at 7.30. Yeah. yeah. He said that at 8 p.m., both men took a break and went downstairs to the pharmacy where he bought some cough syrup and Engelman chugged a few sodas. Which is also funny if you're a dentist <laughs> doing that in front of you. Look, I can have these. Look, you just got a flask. You can have as much soda as you want. <laughs> pop. <laughs> yeah, they probably said pop, huh? Did they say pop in St. Louis? Probably. Where else would you say it? It seems like a Midwest thing, right? It is. Yeah. Then they went back upstairs to finish the appointment. That's also weird that they took a break. A soda break? They took a soda break in the middle of the appointment. Yeah. This guy's not adding up for me. (laughs) Thomas Johnson said he left the dental office just before 9 p.m. Now, the druggist who worked at the pharmacist, he offered a different set of events. He said that a woman had called the pharmacy looking for Dr. Engelman, and so he sent his messenger boy up to the office to go get him, but the boy knocked on the locked door to the office and no one answered. Hmm. Then at 7.40, the druggist said that Dr. Engelman and his patient, Mr. Johnson, appeared in front of the pharmacy. Dr. Engelman said he had gone out shopping for a present for his wife, and that's where he was. Yeah. Engelman refused to testify at the inquest, citing his Fifth Amendment rights. By this time, which was just two days after the murder, Dr. Engelman's face and name had been splashed across the local papers. The papers also printed that he refused to take a lie detector test. A reporter for the St. Louis Globe called him a chunky 31-year-old dentist. Wow. (laughs) They went there. (laughs) Sometimes they called him a plump dentist. Yeah. Witnesses at the scene of the murder had testified that the man they saw fleeing the scene was of a stocky build. Hmm. He's a chunk. (laughs) He was was a chunky boy, and the paper was going to let you know. Yeah. Mrs. Engelman lamented to the Globe in an exclusive interview that the police were picking on her husband and that he had nothing to do with the murder of James Bullock. Engelman explained to the paper that he pled the fifth on the advice of his lawyer after he felt the police had singled him out as a potential suspect. Detectives became suspicious of the $64,000 life insurance policy that was to be paid out to James Bullock's widow. Mrs. Bullock testified at the coroner's inquest that her and her late husband were not in any more debt than any other married couple, but investigators suspected that she was hurting for money and wanted a payout. Investigators then pried into Mrs. Bullock's personal life, talking to men who called her a nymphomaniac. One guy who was interviewed, the married guy, 
he claimed that she had broken his bed while they were fucking. I'm a nymphomaniac too. (laughs) (laughs) I love the term nymphomaniac. They interviewed several guys and they all said, oh yeah, she likes to fuck. Yeah. And she fucks all over town. And detectives ate this shit up. Yeah. They're like, well, something's obviously going on here. I mean, back in those days, that really meant something Mm -hmm. to be a slut. (laughs) Now everyone is. (laughs) The transcript from that interview about the guy who had his bed broken reads like a penthouse letter. Ooh. He said, quote, she was so hot, she wanted it hard, too. <laughs> I like how there's always low-key that they're also very good yeah. when they're complimenting her. <laughs> oh, like- he continues, and she could never get enough. I've got a pretty big rod. And oh. she- <laughs> And and she wanted me to ram that thing in her as hard and as often as I could. (laughs) I just picture the uptight stenographer having to type this. (laughs) The papers printed that Mrs. Bullock was a frequent patron of the bars on the D. Balavere Strip. Which nice. I, I guess is a very slutty part of town. Love it. I mean that if you that's were, where I want to live. <laughs> if you were a patron of the Balavere Strip, you were a hoe. You wanted some rod. Yeah, <laughs> deep and hard. Deep and hard <laughs> as often as you can. Mrs. Bullock was also fucking her ex husband on the side. <gasps> when she would go see him for dental work, they would fuck on top of a sleeping bag in his office. She got drilled by the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do some drilling work today. You want some filling? Mrs. Bullock was questioned about it during the inquest, and she said she didn't remember if she had an extramarital relation with her husband. She didn't remember. It wasn't memorable. I like that they had it on a sleeping bag. when you, The chair is right there. <laughs> Like, the dentist chair is right there. If you're going to fuck in a dental office, don't you want to make a whole deal of it? Don't you want to spit in that sink? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I want to spit in that sink. I want to put that little bib on. Hold on. Yeah. I want to put that yeah, put weighted. I want to put that weighted, weighted blanket bib. on top of us. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, the one for the X-rays that feels so good. You could do that. You could have an X-ray with of yourself fucking with the bone in with the, with the bone in bone in X-rays. With so that I, I would be blanket. using the dentist stuff. You got to make you yeah. got. I'm not going t- in the office with a sleeping bag. You got to take advantage of all the tools at your Absolutely. disposal. You got to get a little freaky in there. Yeah, and you have to do it on that old gross dental chair. Absolutely, because uh, then you have bag. patients in there. You can be like, little do they know I I, I came and my ex wife right. there. And and Doctor Engelman doesn't have any scruples anyway. So yeah. what does he care? Exactly. But this is a uh, rookie mistake. Absolutely. So she also was asked about some porn that was found in her husband's car, as well as some football betting tickets. But she said she didn't recall any of those. Then there were the rumors that she had a black book filled with the names of high-profile people and that the investigation into her would be put to a stop so as to protect their identities. Right. When another patient testified that she had tried twice and failed to get a hold of Dr. Engelman between the hours of 7.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. the night of the murder, speculations were made about whether or not Dr. Engelman's 
patient alleged that he allegedly saw was covering for him. Right. Mrs. Ida Engelman, which is Dr. Engelman's current wife at this time, also refused to testify. She, like her husband, his ex-wife Ruth Bullock, and her husband's patient, Thomas Johnson, all refused to take a lie detector test, which, as we know, those are not admissible in court. But when the paper prints that, they're, they're insinuating right. something. Although back then, I don't think people knew as much that they weren't admissible, right? Uh, in the newspaper articles I read, it it said that they oh, weren't really? that they weren't admissible in court. I feel like people took them more seriously, though. Maybe I think, I think so. Now it's like more widely known that they're not. I think so because now it's not that big of a deal if someone doesn't take it. But I think back then it was probably like, oh well, that means they're guilty, right? Yeah, which is why I think they printed it so they could sort of insinuate, like, look, these are the suspects or these are the people involved that, that should be suspects or that they're they're suspicious in some way. Dr. Engelman was never charged with the murder, nor was his ex-wife, Ruth Bullock, and the murder weapon was never found. Engelman told those closest to him that James Bullock was killed because he was a homosexual and that it was better off that way. This guy's a real piece of shit. Yeah. The widow Bullock did end up getting the life insurance payout a few years later. It was heavily contested, but she won, and she she got that $64,000. Then she gave $20,000 of it to Glennon Engelman because he wanted to make a new drag racing business. What? He's like, he's, he's, he's an, this was given to him as an investment in his drag strip. What an idiot. Ruth needs to keep that money. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. 
So by 1962, Dr. Glennon Engelman had purchased a piece of land in the town of Pacific, Missouri, and he was building his drag strip business. He wanted his whole family to help with the operation, including his wife's niece, Sandy, who he was having sexual relations with. What does this guy have? (laughs) (laughs) This guy is very horny and very predatorial and... He gets chicks. I don't know how because he's not attractive. Okay, so he's not attractive. No. Okay. Uh, I mean, he doesn't sound attractive. Among the list of people Engelman sought to employ was a young man named Nick Miranda, who he had employed for years as a handyman. He had known this guy since he was a kid. He had a lot of young handymen that he sort of, I guess, was kind of a mentor to. They all looked up to him. Okay. Over the years, Nick had become sort of a protege of Engelman. Like in what regard? Well, dentistry? <laughs> no, in not like dentistry. Drag racing? Just in life, yeah. I think. Okay. I think Nick just looked up to him and was like a hanger on. He had sort of taken him under his wing when he was a kid. Okay. And his whole family. Um, so Engelman's sister, Melody, introduced him to a 23-year-old Air Force vet and part-time dance instructor named Eric Frey, who she said would be able to help with the construction of the drag strip. Eric went on to hook up with the niece, Sandy. Okay. A little more age-appropriate. Yeah. And they ended up getting married later that year. Ooh. The marriage was rocky, and the couple suffered financial problems. They frequently bounced checks. At one point, Sandy attempted to commit an insurance scam against a dance club. She claimed that she had fallen down at the club and suffered a miscarriage, but that wasn't true. That was a lie. She was actually pregnant, but the truth was that Dr. Engelman performed a secret illegal abortion on her. Oh. He sometimes did at the at his dentist office. And I think he was the one that may have gotten her pregnant. Oh. Dr. God. Engelman. Yeah. Sandy had taken out a life insurance policy on her husband, Eric, shortly after they were married, but the policy lapsed due to non-payment. Subsequently, Engelman's sister, Melody, took out a group life insurance policy on all the employees of the drag strip, which also covered Eric Frey. So he does have some insurance, life insurance at this point. Eric Frey was allegedly abusive to Sandy, and Dr. Engelman ranted to Nick Miranda about how Eric needed to be done away with. He was a worthless sack of shit, and the business needed money. (sighs) The Drag Race Strip officially opened for business in September of 1963. On the 26th, Engelman enlisted Eric Frey to help him and the other workers close up a cistern on the property. There were all these abandoned wells Mm-hmm. on the property and they noticed that like the kids were playing in them which right. was dangerous so like we got to close these up we got to close these up so they were going to use dynamite to help fill in the holes with dirt okay i guess you just like blow a bunch of dirt you probably blow it up and then it crumbles into the hole yeah like it caves it in yeah so eric was put in charge of the operation they're like he was in the military he yeah. knows explosives Let's give him these bomb explosives. Yeah, we're <laughs> see gonna, what happens. We're going to give him some dynamite, <laughs> yeah. and he's just going to do his magic. The other workers dispersed, and Engelman stayed close to monitor Eric as he was going to explode this okay. cistern. Then an explosion went off. 
<laughs> the other workers who were not near the blast site could hear Dr. Engelman shout, Eric! <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how he sounded, too. Exactly. He then shouted to call for an ambulance because it looked like Eric was dead, and he was. Now, Eric's death was reported in the papers as an unfortunate work-related accident. This is an excerpt from the St. Clair Chronicle. It said, quote, Eric Lindau Frey, 23, was killed Thursday at 6.55 p.m. in a blasting accident at the Pacific Drag Racing Strip. Franklin County authorities investigated and found that old abandoned cisterns in the strip area were being dynamited and then filled in, and Frey, who was inexperienced at such blasting, had gone to the scene Thursday evening to dynamite a cistern four feet wide and 15 feet deep, partially filled with water. When last seen alive, he was lying on his belly over the pit with a stick of dynamite in his hand. Then there was an explosion, and his remains were found later at the bottom of the cistern, lying face down in the water. It is believed the stick had a short fuse. He had been struck primarily in the face. Coroner H.D. Steinbeck, M.D., termed it an accidental death. Highway Sergeant Gerald Amos has verified the findings. The new drag strip is operating under the name Pacific Drag Strip Incorporated and is reportedly owned by a group headed by Dr. Engelman of St. Louis, first husband of the notorious Mrs. Bullock, now married a third time. Bullock was found mysteriously shot on Art Hill in Forest Park several years ago. Engelman's name was prominent in the hearings, which involved mention of vice on various counts. There was then a two-year squabble over Bullock's life insurance and the widow, the winner over Bullock's blood relatives. I like how they're like, and let's bring up the slut. <laughs> <laughs> the notorious Mrs. James yeah. Bullock. Yeah, they wanted to get that jab yeah. in one more time. Absolutely. But this is important to know because Dr. Engelman has been in the paper at this point under suspicion since the late 50s. Yeah. Like, what are the chances? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was actually, I listened to another podcast about this case last week, and um, they were like, they, one of them said how they, that they thought Dr. Engelman was really smart. I don't think he was smart at all. I think the police were just really fucking stupid. Sometimes you don't have to be smart, you just have to be brazen. Yeah, I think he was very he was very brazen and we're going to get into the details of a lot of these suspicious deaths in part 2. Right. But we're just laying it all out. Okay. Some of it out right now cuz there's a lot more to come. So no autopsy was even performed on Eric Frey. This was pretty much immediately ruled an accidental right. death. Uh then he was promptly cremated. So, yeah, that's done. Sandy called the insurance company basically the next day to ask when she would collect on her late husband's policy. Subtle. Always a bad sign. Yeah. When- <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in grief, but uh, <laughs> when's that money coming? <laughs> I mean, see, people didn't have Dateline back then, so they don't know these tropes about the life insurance. Yeah. I mean, how did they not know it? Even then, it's going to look a little a little funny. Right. 
So Sandy did get the life insurance money. She received $20,000, and she promptly turned around and wrote Dr. Engelman a check for $16,000. This guy. He got most of the money. Why, why is everyone giving him money? <laughs> this was supposedly an investment in the drag strip business. Yeah. That was what the, she wrote in the memo. Okay. I guess. The drag strip, however, would file for bankruptcy <laughs> the following year, and it was kaput. I mean, how much money could that thing make? You can drag race for free on the streets, <laughs> and it's more exciting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many people are like itching to do have like a place. I don't know. I mean, I guess it could be popular. I, I just don't know anything about that world. Yeah. When Sandy gave birth to her daughter, everyone noticed how much it looked like Dr. Engelman. That's bad. <laughs> They're like he and and every everything I read from people, it was always that they remarked that the baby was fat, so he must be Doctor Engelman's. Look at that chonky baby! <laughs> like yeah, as if all almost all babies aren't uh, chonk. There's I mean like there's a lot of chonky babies, and like, although maybe he looks like a baby, he does. Look Do you know like what I baby. mean? So any baby kind of looks like him. I think he kind of looks like a baby. Yeah. Um, we'll post a picture of him this week on our Instagram. So you can judge for yourself. Does Dr. Engelman have the face of a grotesque, overgrown baby? <laughs> Decide for yourself. So Engelman's mother would sometimes babysit the child, and she allegedly said, My son Glenn has every right to procreate as he sees fit. He is an intelligent man, and that intelligence should be passed on. Ew. She, the mom didn't care if, if that was not Eric Frey's baby. She's like, I don't care if my son got his wife's niece pregnant and they had a baby. Imagine being that person. You're like, my son should put his sperm everywhere. <laughs> that, that's what she thought. She thought he had intelligent Ugh, cum. So gross. I disagree. His cum is not intelligent. I beg to differ, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Engelman met his third wife while he was still married to his second wife. His third wife's name was Ruth Jolly. Now if you're <laughs> Sorry. Now if you're keeping track, this is the second time he married a woman named Ruth. Well, you know, that name was very popular <laughs> in the Midwest back then, I bet. I guess yeah, it's like being named Mildred in the yeah, 30s, yeah. I guess. So, he marries Ruth Jolly. She was 21 years old when she met Dr. Engelman. She was a patient at his dental office. That's how they met. And this is a quote from the book, Appointment for Murder. Quote, he told her that the black pantyhose she wore in her, with her Bermuda shorts made him horny as hell. Black pantyhose with Bermuda shorts? That, that doesn't go at all. I... I mean, maybe I'd have to see it, but it doesn't sound like it. Have Bermuda shorts ever made anyone horny? I doubt it. This guy's gross. He's a guy. What a pervert. <laughs> I think if Bermuda shorts make you horny, you're a fucking pervert. Yeah. And not in a good way. No. That's disgusting. <laughs> so he meets this 21-year-old patient. He's like, wow. I like how his women get younger, but he's getting older. Yeah, of yeah. course. They wound up fucking at her second appointment. In the chair <laughs> or on the sleeping bag. <laughs> well, he kept the sleeping bag up in the rafters. Okay. So I think he would bring it down every time they, he would have sex with a new patient or yeah. a, whoever his ex-wife. 
I don't know how many times he washed that. I'm guessing he didn't wash it much. I don't want to see the luminol <laughs> test on that sleeping bag. No, it's all that intelligent cum stains. <laughs> So Ruth goes in to get her cavity filled and obviously wound up getting more than just a tooth filled. Yeah. Dr. Engelman is said to have had great sexual prowess, even though you look at him and you hear about this guy as a person and yeah. it's it's fucking baffling. He really thought of himself as this Svengali-like figure that he could control and manipulate women around him with his sexual energy. Right. I think Svengali is actually very unattractive too, but had like some kind of magic uh, way. I mean, according to the people. Well, in the movie that my great grandpa worked on, starring the bear John Barrymore, yeah, he's very ugly in that movie. Right, they make him look like Rasputin, but but Rasputin also ugly but horny. I think Rasputin's hotter. Rasputin <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> I, I agree. I would I would I would absolutely fuck Rasputin before I would fuck anyone like Glennon Engelman. Yes. Um I think sometimes I wonder when I hear these things back if the women aren't sort of magically thinking because they want to make it seem like, well, here's why I did it, because he was so good in bed. Yeah. And it's like, was it true, or do you have to make it seem like reasonable that you were with this person yeah. to everybody? Well, do you the, know what I mean? Like The book also made it seem like Glennon Engelman ate a lot of pussy. So oh. that was like not done as much. Yeah, that's in, more rare. In those days, like, you know, not every guy... What was considered weak or un, you know, unmasculine right. to it, do that. It wasn't as like done as often as it is obviously today. Like it seems weird right. that people didn't do it, but I guess it was more common. So, so I, that might have been more mind blowing. I think he was like to them, to these women, he was like really good in bed. To them. I'll do it. I'll put a dental dam on it. <laughs> <laughs> he invented that. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know. He must have been he must have had an incredible dick game according to them. I'm right. just so I mean, sometimes those guys try hard. Uh, he's just so repulsive yeah. like personality-wise. Absolutely. Even beyond his crimes, like he doesn't seem cool. We're going to get into what makes him some other things that make him repulsive. Uh Engelman divorced his second wife Ida in 1965. It was obviously not an amicable split. He was a really shitty husband. According to Ida, he once tried to kill her with a lethal dose of barbiturates. Pretty shitty. (laughs) Now, I saw it mentioned many times, not just in this book, but just in general literature about Glennon Engelman, that he was this beloved dentist and family man. But honestly, this isn't, to me, this is not a BTK situation where he had this cover. Yeah. It's not like, like BTK had a whole fucking double life. To me, Glennon Engelman was a piece of shit. Just maybe different ways of being a piece of shit. Well, I mean, because he, Glennon Engelman was also outwardly racist and really proud of it. Right. And seems homophobic too. Yeah. I mean, he was an overall bigot. He would, he also hated Jewish people. So he would always talking about, talking shit about Jewish people and black people just to anyone, anyone, anyone who would listen. I mean, look, I guess, you know, a lot of people he hung out with are probably really racist too. So they're like, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, Some great opinions. (laughs) And clearly he was, he had all these wives that he was cheating on. I don't know if people like overlooked that or if, 
people like I don't know. I guess like people had- probably just brushed it off then. Like, oh yeah, he gets he has a few drinks and he start. You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. I don't know. I yeah. think I think some. I just don't think this is the same as like a BTK situation where people were like baffled that he that he ended up being the serial killer. Right. I just everything I've read about him, like, well, he always seemed like a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, he was also once investigated by the St. Louis Civil Rights Commission because he refused dental care on a black woman. <gasps> Shit. Yeah. Now, by this time, his relationship with Ida's niece, Sandy, had turned hostile, and Engelman had threatened her that she better leave town or else. Dr. Engelman and Ruth Jolly got married in 1967, and they had a son named David together, and that would be his only kid. That we know uh, well, about. That, that we know of. That would be his only, like, this is my son. Right. This was not a good marriage. In fact, Ruth had attempted to leave her husband several times, but she was really afraid of him. By the 70s, Dr. Engelman's young handyman slash employee, Nick Miranda, had moved to California. But his younger sister, Carmen Miranda, who was... <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> That's her name. <laughs> I like how you're just going to keep going. <laughs> That's her name. Her name's Carmen Miranda. <laughs> okay. She's in her early 20s now, and she's getting closer to Dr. Engelman. No, Carmen. Carmen had known Dr. Engelman since she was just nine years old. Ew. In 1976, when she was 24, she was working as a dental assistant in his office. She had just married 26-year-old Peter Holm the year before. Dr. Engelman and Carmen were involved in a sexual relationship together, though I hesitate to call it they were having sex because from what's described in the book, it seemed like he was basically just molesting her at the office. Okay. And like... Like groping her or... Well, he would like, you know, be like, take off your shirt and like touch her tits and then be like, this is how you, I'm going to teach you how to suck dick. So you're, you can really please your husband. So she would suck his dick? I guess. Okay. Um, so but, they weren't fucking, but they were doing other stuff. Yeah. They might've been fucking too. I think oh, they were okay. also, fu- I mean, I don't know, but like he was definitely doing stuff to her and I don't think she liked it or was, but she was going it. along with it because it was her boss or yeah. Okay. Regardless, it's her boss. So it's predatory by, yeah, by nature. Um, the power dynamic there, but he was also just gross. Yeah. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Um, 
so he, yeah, he would give her these lessons on how to please her husband. He wasn't trying to steal her away from Peter. He just right. was... He was like, I'm your ment- mentor. Yeah, he's like, I'm your sex mentor. But she didn't like this. She wasn't into it. Yeah. Engelman's wife, Ruth, was irritated because her husband seemed to spend so much time with his young dental assistant. He told her that she was in a really rough marriage with her husband and that Peter beat her and that he needed to be stopped. Now, I don't know if Peter actually beat her or if that's just what he said to his wife. It was the afternoon of September 5th, 1976, and Carmen Miranda was walking through a wooded area along a path with her husband, Peter. They had plans that afternoon to go to an auto show and look at the motorcycles at Six Flags. But Carmen wanted to show her husband something first. It was a surprise. The wooded area they walked in was not deserted. In fact, there was a family not too far away hanging out. Peter and Carmen stopped by a pond and talked. And that's when a shot rang out, (gasps) hitting Peter in the back. He fell to the ground and Carmen screamed. Her husband was dead. The nearby family heard her screams and ran over. When police arrived at the scene, they discovered a rifle nearby that was buried under some leaves, and this rifle had a telescopic lens. The medical examiner concluded that Peter had been shot by a high-velocity projectile similar to the weapon that they had found at the scene. Police interviewed people who were in the area at the time of the shooting, but they concluded that this might have just been an accident. The area where Peter was shot was a known target practice and hunting site. A month after the shooting, the local paper printed a plea from Peter's parents offering a $1,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of Peter's killer. But the police investigation seemed to just die soon after, and they ruled this an accident. But why was she taking him there? We'll get into that okay. <laughs> next week. Okay. Um, There wouldn't even be any... I'd looked for like the next few years. There wouldn't even be any mention of Peter's names in the paper until a few years later. Okay. So it seemed like this thing just died and they ruled it a hunting accident. Okay. But But someone did it and just got scared and ran off and left their gun, I guess? Yeah. Okay. That's what they concluded, basically. And it wouldn't be until a few years later when they would find out what really happened. Okay. But that's where we're going to end... Okay. Part one. Part two, very juicy. Yeah. Lots of stuff happening here. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll be, we'll post some pictures on our Instagram page. We're going to go record our after show now for our Patreon. And we will see you next week with part two of The Dentist. Bye. Bye.